A towering giant, the story of the Rebbe's father, Harav Levi Yitzchak, and his rise to leadership in a spiritually dark time, in honor of the Yom HaIlula Chaf Menachem Av. Early years, Harav Levi Yitzchak Schneerson was born on Yud Ches Nisan 5638, in the town of Padrona, near Gomel, to the Baruch Schneer, a great-grandson of the Temach Tzedek, and Ebitzin Zelda Rachel Schneerson. He was the oldest of four children and was named after his paternal grandfather who passed away at the young age of 44. Already as a small child, Harav Levi Yitzchak showed signs of greatness. As the Friedrich Rebbe would later write, from a young age, his extraordinary talents were already apparent. His teacher was his great uncle, Rebbe Yehoi Chaikin. On Yud Gimel Sivan 5660, Tafresh Samach, at the age of 22, he married Rebetzin Chanel, the daughter of the Meir Shleima Yanovsky, the dove of Nikolaev. By that time, Harav Levi Yitzchak was already known for his vast knowledge in Kabbalah and Halacha. The Rebbe Shab was the one to suggest the Shidach and gave Harav Levi Yitzchak much personal guidance regarding his preparations for his chasana. After their chasana, Harav Levi Yitzchak and the Rebbe Tzinchana remained in Nikolaev for almost a decade. Harav Levi Yitzchak would spend most of his day learning, financially supported by his father-in-law. During those years, Harav Levi Yitzchak received his smicha from some of the Torah giants of the day, including Reb Chaim Brisker and Reb Elie Chaim Meislish of Lodz. Reb Shmuel Grossbaum, who learned as a chavrusa with Harav Levi Yitzchak at the time, related, Harav Levi Yitzchak would spend 18 hours a day learning. At 5 in the morning, he would finally stop his learning to recite the morning Shema while wearing tefillin, and only then retire for the night. By 9 o'clock in the morning, he was already diving shachas with the minion. From 5662, Tafresh Sanach Beis, Harav Levi attended all the conferences arranged by the Rebbe Rashab. One of the initiatives in which he took a large part was Operation Matzah, the project to arrange matzah for the Jewish soldiers fighting in the war between Japan and Russia in the years 5664 and 5665, Tafresh Samach Dalet and Samach Hay. It was the eighth year that we were living in the home of my parents, who supported us while my husband studied Torah full-time. The time had come to think about seeking a source of livelihood. This is how Rebetzin Chana, in her memoirs, describes her family situation in 5668 Tafresh Samach Ches. Harav Yitzchak and Rebetzin Chana were already parents to two young sons, the Rebbe and Reb Deiber. They were all living together in the small home of Rebetzin Chana's father, Harav Meir Shleima. Although they received offers for positions of Rabbanos in various cities, none seemed to work out, until one day, Hadav Levi Yitzchak was offered to become the Rav in Yakutrinoslav. Yakutrinoslav, later called Dnepropetrovsk, was a large city with colorful range of nationalities. Yidin began moving to the city in the mid-5500s, tough kufs. By the time of Hadav Levi Yitzchak's appointment, a bit over 100 years later, they numbered over 40,000 souls, almost 40% of the general population, making up the third largest ethnic group in the city, second only to Ukrainians and Russians. The general relationship between the Jewish and non-Jewish population was a positive one, but that had a dire effect on the Yidin's spiritual condition. Russian culture made deep inroads in the Jewish community, and Russian became the language spoken in many homes, as a result of their children attending the non-Jewish public schools. The rich and the middle class assimilated almost entirely, and case of conversion were not unheard of. As the years passed, anti-Semitism took a turn for the worse. The Jews were persecuted at every turn, and the authorities hampered the efforts of the Jewish youth 
to enroll in schools of higher learning. As a result, the phenomenon of conversion began to rise rapidly. It was during this difficult period when the persecution of, was worsening and the Yidin were on extreme spiritual low that Hadad Levi Yitzchak received the offer to become a Rav in Yekaterinoslav. Controversy Those who supported Hadad Levi Yitzchak's candidacy knew that he was the only person who would be able to deal with the issues that plagued the city. With his knowledge, chassidus, strength of character and talents, they recognized that he would be the best choice to captain the Jewish ship that was being shaken to no end. During the years preceding the appointment of Adav Levi Yitzchak, several well-known and distinguished Rabbanim, many of them Hasidim, served the community faithfully. The city itself was divided into several parts, with different Rabbanim for each side of town. One Rav was for the center of town, another served the Yidin living in the neighborhood boarding the Dnepr River, and the city continued to grow. A brand new Jewish neighborhood was established and a Rav was needed there as well. In the year 5668, Tafresh Samaches, over the course of five months, three of the four Rabbanim fell ill and passed away. Until their passing, peace had reigned in the city. Now that the Rabbanim were to be appointed, major disagreements broke out and the city became divided into different camps, Hasidim, Misnagdim, and Maskilim. The Hasidim had their eyes set on Hadad Levi Yitzchak. The Rebbe Rashad himself instructed him to apply for the position and actively worked to convince the leaders of the city to appoint him. The Masnagdim Maskilim Zionist and High Society, on the other hand, fought to appoint an Eulam Rav, Rabbi Pinchas Gelman. The opposition to Adav Levi's appointment was not simply out of high regard for Rabbi Gelman. Many of the opponents simply could not bear the thought that a Chassid might once again be appointed to lead the city's Jews. Ultimately, the warring sides reached an agreement. Rabbi Gelman be the Rav in the, new, in the neighborhood adjacent to the river, and Hadav Levi Yitzchak would move to the new neighborhood. This arrangement continued until the passing of the senior Rav, Rabbi Zakar, who served the Jewish community in the center of the city. After his passing, Rabbi Gelman moved to take his place and Hadav Levi Yitzchak transferred to Rabbi Gelman's neighborhood. After the passing of Rabbi Gelman, Hadav Levi Yitzchak was called to the center of the city. From then on, he was the only uncontested Rav of Yakutin Islam, and the light of his wisdom and leadership shined far and wide. First Accomplishments Once appointed, Hadav Levi Yitzchak began working tirelessly to strengthen Yiddishkeit in the city. The prevailing attitude in the community council and the influential class was one of apathy and indifference to all things Jewish, and Hadav Levi Yitzchak had to work extra hard to bring about basic changes in Jewish life. One of the first endeavors was regarding a basic element of Jewish living. The mikvah of Yaakov Timislav had grown old and unfit for use, and Adav Levi Yitzchak made it a priority to correct its sorry state. He gathered the community leaders and told them about the severity of the issue, but they resisted, claiming that there weren't adequate funds in the community coffers. The new young rabbi stood up to his full height, took off his new cloak, which he had just begun wearing in honor of his distinguished appointment, and said, Here you have a garment which costs a significant sum. With its worth, we can begin building a mikvah. The formerly apathetic community leaders were impressed with his sincerity and they immediately committed to correcting the issue with the mikvah. Harav Levietzak's effort to influence the Yidin of Yakutinislav did not sit well with many of his opponents. Some of them looked for every opportunity to challenge him and hinder his activities. However, as the years passed, support for the new Rav began to grow. Little by little, the influential Jews of the city were won over by Harav Levietzak's sincerity and steadfastness in Yiddishkeit. One would have thought that his fearlessness and steadfastness would have gained him staunch enemies, but the very opposite was true. Many who had opposed his nomination now visited his office, 
often seeking his guidance and counsel, and his sermons on Yom Tevim began to draw increasingly large crowds. Communism As World War I came to an end, Russia underwent significant changes. The Tsar was deposed and the Bolsheviks came into power. They lost no time implementing their plans and prompting their way of life. Within a short time, all religions came under intense persecution. A special organization was created specifically to combat Yiddishkeit. Run entirely by Yiddin, they went about fulfilling their task ferociously, attempting to impede the progress of any religious institutions or individual, all in the name of freedom and equality. It was during these hard years that Rav Leviyitzchak's strength of character came out in an entirely new light. Until then, he may have had to deal with the opposition and annoyances, but now, insisting on principles was a matter of life or death. No imagination was necessary to figure out what the government might do to someone who stood up to them. Many Rabbanim were exiled to Siberia, and many others were killed outright. No one could know who was next on the black list in the offices of the NKVD. The Conference An important conference was to take place in Kharkov, and Hadav Levi Yitzhak's presence was imperative. Global figures had denounced Soviet Russia for its persecution of religion and had awakened a storm of protests from people the world over. The Soviet leadership did not appreciate the tarnished image that the denunciation had generated and was attempting to mend it by publishing declarations by rabbinic leaders stating that there was no religious persecution in Russia. One such letter had already been published as a result of a conference of Rabbanim in Minsk. Seeing their success, they were now attempting similar gathering in Kharkov and hoped that the presence of the distinguished rabbis of Ukraine this conference, they knew, would not be complete without a Rav Levi Yitzchak. They were also aware that the Rav of Yakatrinislav was a hard nut to crack and would need extra encouragement for his presence to be secured. The NKVD called Rav Levi Yitzchak to their headquarters to explain to him how important the meeting was to the government and they offered him a first-class ticket to Kharkov. No thank you, Rav Levi Yitzchak told the officer. I can travel on my own dime. The officer stared at him, shell-shocked. These were officers of the NKVD where nobody spoke like that. Nonetheless, the officer swallowed the insult and was content with the fact that Harav Levi Yitzchak had agreed to travel there in the first place. Arriving at the conference, the Rabbanim noticed a stranger among them. The NKVD had placed an informer to report all their conversations, and the Rabbanim were obviously not comfortable speaking their minds. One person stood out. Harav Levi Yitzchak took the podium and stated, in no uncertain terms, that it was forbidden to sign the document, which was built entirely on lies and deceit. Seeing the disaster that the conference would amount to, the Minister of Education invited Hadav Levi Yitzchak for a conversation, where he reminded him of the importance and significance the government saw in the success of the conference and made him aware of the severity of his actions. The private talk had no effect. Hadav Levi Yitzchak refused to back down. He intensified his efforts to ruin the conference and even sent a secret message to the international press, making them aware of the government's action. The conference was a failure, and the Soviets were once again shamed in the international press when the stories broke. As communism began to spread its wings over Russia, those involved in the furthering of Yiddishkeit throughout the Soviet Union began to be arrested. Some of them were sent to Siberia and never heard of from again. In that climate, many Rabbanim began to fear for their lives, hoping that the dreadful day would never come upon them. One by one, many prominent Rabbanim left the country. By this time, it became clear that Hadav Levi Yitzchak was the leader of the Jewish people in the Soviet Union. The Dov and Pesach everyone looked up to and respected. After the Friedrich Rebbe was forced to leave Russia and was living in Riga, Hadav Levi Yitzchak became the sole descendant of Alter Rebbe and Temach Tzedek leading Russian Jewry. Hadav Levi Yitzchak did not feel that his public support of Teodah Mitzvah was something that should be unique to his status as a Dov. 
when the Russian government took a census asking citizens if they believe in Hashem, Hadath Levi Yitzchak personally went from shul to shul and any gathering place in between, encouraging all Jews to unbashfully declare their belief in Hashem, stating that it is forbidden for a Jew to disconnect himself from Hashem, even for a short moment. In her memoirs, Nebuchadnezzar Sakana wrote about the effect that the Dutcher had on one particular individual. His words had such a remarkable impact that one individual with a position in a government office whose wife had already written on the form that he was a non-believer went to the statistics office and asked for erroneous information to be corrected, that he was, in fact, a believer. Very pleased that he mustered the courage to do this, the fellow came to thank the Dav for having influenced him so. Matzahs, the last battle. Freedom of religion was one of the mottos of the USSR. As a part of a PR campaign to prove this, they would allow the baking of matzah to take place. Since all bakeries, like all businesses, were government-run, they were the ones who actually facilitate and the baking and the distribution. This was at the very same time they were arresting Rabbanim and Hasidim and repressing religion in general. Baking matzahs was not enough. They understood that Yidin will only buy matzahs with a proper heksher, and being that the Yakut Slav region was the outsourcer for wheat throughout the country, they wanted the local rabbi, Hadav Levi Yitzchak, to certify that the matzahs were baked properly and were kosher for Pesach. As per their custom, the authorities initially attempted to receive Hadav Levi certification by means of intimidation. It was only when they saw that their efforts bore no fruit that they agreed to Hadav Levi Yitzchak's demand. He would be ready to certify the matzah if the government would give him and his mashkichim full discretion in running the bakeries. If the government was willing to comply, he would happily give the heksher. If not, he would publicize that the matzahs were chametz and forbidden for consumption on Pesach. Surprisingly, they agreed, and on more than one occasion, kosher for Passover matzahs were shipped throughout the entire region, giving the oppressed Yidin a chance to properly celebrate the Festival of Freedom. In 5699, Tafresh Sadik Tess, Hadad Yitzchak once again organized these shipments. Seeing opposition from the government, he decided to travel to obtain an appointment with Mikhail Kalinin, the president of the Soviet Union. As an outcome of their meeting, Mr. Kalinin gave an order that the baking of masses should continue undisturbed. Superhuman effort was put into the baking, obtaining the necessary permits, koshering the bakeries, and dealing with the government bureaucrats throughout the entire process was a backbreaking process which negatively affected Harav Leviathan's health. But all this was insignificant in comparison to the spiritual pleasure he felt. His face shone with, from pure happiness, knowing that he gave the Yidin the ability to have kosher and a happy Pesach. This happiness was too much for the government to bear. The final straw had been added to the camel's back, and it was decided that the Rav would not be allowed to reap the fruits of his labor. Final Fabringen Around Purim time, about a month before Harev Levi Yitzchak's arrest, two young men were noticed spending hours each day around his house, keeping tabs on who came and went, how long they were there for, and where they went afterwards. On Purim that year, there was a big Fabringen held in the Dav's home with many in attendance, young and old, including many who were prohibited from being there and were endangering their lives by doing so. Hadav Levi shared many terror thoughts with great fervor, and the room was filled with an uplifting atmosphere. In the middle of the Fabringen, out of excitement, the crowd burst into dancing, despite the grave danger it entailed. As the Fabringen came to a close, the crowd began to leave slowly, a few at a time, trying not to arouse suspicion. At that moment, Rebetin Khan noticed these two young fellows there again. There was no doubt in everyone's mind that they were hired by the NKVD to keep an eye on Adav Levi Yitzchak. The Arrest It was 3 o'clock in the morning on the 9th of Nissan 5699 Tafresh Tzadik Tess. Knocks were heard at the Schneerson home on 13 Barikadana Street. 
Robinson Hanna opened the door and was greeted by four agents of the NKVD standing opposite her. Where is Rabbi Schneerson? One of them asked. As Rebison Khanna went to notify her husband of the uninvited guest, the four men entered the house, stationed guards at each door, and began a search. Riffling through the thousands of folios of Hadav Levi Yitzchak's written works on Kabbalah, Halacha, and rabbinic correspondence, they confiscated his rabbinic ordination certificates and a petition from the community of Yafan Eretz Yisrael to that he emigrate and serve as their chief rabbi sent with visas for the entire family. They also took many rare priceless artifacts, including Kisve Yad of the previous rabbin. After three hours of searching through the entire house, one of the guards announced, Rabbi Schneerson, get dressed and come with us. As it was right before Pesach, Hadav Levi asked if he could take a small package of matzah with him, and they agreed. It was six o'clock in the morning. Hadav Levi was under arrest for his activities on behalf of Judaism in the Soviet Union. As he was leaving his house, he turned to those who had gathered around them and said, I am now being taken away, and our sages teach us that one should part from his friend with a terror thought. I will now share with you one last teaching. With that, he shared the Vartera with those standing around. Mr. Yisrael Amdamsky, who was a child at the time, recalls the events of the following day. The news of the arrest began to slowly spread amongst the Jewish community. The next morning, as everyone came to Shul to Davin, the public learned about the arrest. Many Jews in the community were terribly angered, and some tried to arrange protests. But the NKVD, armed with heavy weapons, rushed in to control the scene. I am certain that if the protest would have been arranged, many of the non-Jewish residents of the city would have taken part as well. He was loved by all, but the fear was great. Not intimidated. Hadav Levi Yitzchak was first brought and imprisoned at the NKVD headquarters in Yakatrinislav. Later, he was transferred to Nakamovsky Jail in Kiev, where he was placed amongst the worst criminals. It was there that the interrogations began. Reb Aaron Yaakov Diskin was in the same jail as Hadav Levi Yitzchak. He described the torture and suffering Hadav Levi Yitzchak went through. Who could stand through these hardships? Only very few. One of those were Hadav Levi Yitzchak. He wouldn't admit, he wouldn't say he was guilty. He was moved to Kiev in hope that the experts would squeeze his signature out of him. For the NKVD, he was a prized possession, a famous Rav who was a machutin to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, whom they hated with a passion and were forced to banish from the Soviet Union. However, no matter what they tried, Hadav Levi Yitzchak never gave in and due to his steadfastness, many people were saved. He was from the very few people to be able to withstand the fire of Gehenna and not be broken. After many months of failed attempts, not being able to break Hadav Levi Yitzchak's spirit, he was transferred back to Yakar Tzinyaslav, where they attempted a new technique. They confronted him with other arrested chassidim, who confirmed all of Hadav Levi Yitzchak's crimes in front of him, hoping he would give in and admit to the charges against him. However, try as they may, Hadav Levi Yitzchak refused to give in. Trial and Sentence The government wanted to put Hadad Levi Yitzhak on a public trial, but because they couldn't get incriminating evidence out of him and he wouldn't admit to his guilt, it was called off. Rebetzin Khanna describes in her diary the procedure of the court case against Hadad Levi Yitzhak. The NKVD tried very hard to find proof of Hadad Levi Yitzhak's crime against the government, claiming that it's for that reason that he has so many contacts with various people outside the country, including his mechutan, the Friedrich Rebbe. He should therefore be judged accordingly as someone who is rebelling against the government. However, with not enough evidence against him, he couldn't be charged for such crimes. With no other option, they were forced to sentence him to be exiled far away, with no other Jewish people around, so that he could no longer be of influence to anyone. Towards the end of the month of Kislev, Nebuz and Hannah received an order to appear at the NKVD headquarters. On the designated day, she made her way to the NKVD building, with hopes of finally being able to see her husband for the first time since an arrest. 
almost nine months prior. After waiting for about an hour, she was summoned to a room where she found the four officers sitting behind the table. One of them announced, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Schneerson is sentenced to five years of exile in Eastern Asia. With tears in her eyes, Rabbi Tzachan began to plead with them. How can someone as weak as him survive? They replied, his place of exile isn't so bad and he will be able to keep his citizenship. He just has to move his place of residence there. She was also informed that before his departure to his gullus, she would be granted an opportunity to meet him and say goodbye. Rebbe Zahana continued to plead with the officers. He's old and weak, and the long journey will be hard for him. They replied, being that he is old, he will receive better treatment for the journey. When she asked about preparing food for him, they told her that all this time they had been feeding him and he had eaten what they gave. However, later on, an officer told her to prepare a package of food, saying, it's actually not true. During all these months, not one parcel of food we gave him has entered his mouth. A day was set for Rebbe Zahana to meet at Avlevi Yitzhak for the first time since his arrest. Rebbe Zahana made her way to the respective meeting area, reflecting on his state of health at the meeting. She would later write, I couldn't imagine that just a few short months could affect his health and well-being so much. Baruch Hashem, we can finally meet. Were her Avlevi Yitzhak's first words? Please tell me, was it a Shkedish Kislev one day or two days this year? I need to know because soon is Hanukkah. Journey to Gullus as much as Rebetzin Khanna tried to find out the exact date Halal Levi Yitzhak would be transferred, she was unsuccessful. A short time later, she was notified that he was in Kharkov. She traveled to Kharkov and was once again granted permission to see her husband before his long and bitter journey into Gullus. The month-long journey was hard and tiring for Halal Levi Yitzhak, but he later said the hardest part of the journey was not being able to wash Nigovasar in the morning. For 11 days straight, they did not receive any water. The little that he did supply was so minimal it was barely enough to quench their thirst, but nevertheless, he used what he did receive for Negevasser. He would even exchange the little amount of food he had with the guard for just a few more drops of water to wash his hands. Reb Avram Baruch Pevsner was arrested a few months before at Avli Biesok and was transported to Kazakhstan alongside him. He would later describe his experience. On my way to Kazakhstan, I was together with Avli Biesok. We were on the same cart on the train, but we weren't allowed to speak to each other. We communicated through head motions and signals. Harav Levitsuk was extremely weak after his many months of torture. For part of the journey, we had to walk on foot. There were a few times that Harav Levitsuk collapsed in his place as a result of weakness, and each time, the evil guards would send their dogs and force him to get up and continue walking. Arrival in Kazakhstan Chile, the name of a remote town in Kazakhstan in Far East Asia, brings back bitter memories to many who were there. In this town, the houses were made of mud and clay and did not protect the inhabitants from the extreme cold, snow, and strong winds. The ground itself was muddy and would never dry up, making it hard to walk. With every step, one's feet would get stuck in the mud and it was difficult to get them out. Mosquitoes were everywhere, in the streets, houses, kitchen, closets, food, and drink. During summer, when the cold abated somewhat, the heat would cause an awful stench to rise from the ground, also being the cause of extreme Ill illness. The uninhabitable town is where Harav Levi Yitzchak arrived on 19th Shvat 5700, It was late at night, totally dark, cold, and pouring rain. Not a single person was outside besides for another Yid who was also exiled there. To remain outside for too long would be life-threatening and they needed to find shelter fast. They began knocking on door after door, hoping to find a Jewish home that would take them in. Eventually, they found the house with the dim light shining. Being left with no other option, they gave it a try, knocked on the door. Seeing the poor condition, the homeowner let them in, he gave them a place to lay down, prepared a hot drink for them, and were able to sleep for a few hours. The next morning, Harav Levi sent a telegram to Debitin Khanna to notify her where he was and to ask for his towels and tefillin. 
various farm and food. When she received the telegram, she immediately prepared a package, and about three weeks later, it finally arrived. Rebetzin Khanna recorded what she heard from her husband. The excitement of finally being able to put on tefillin for the first time in almost a year was indescribable. Rebetzin Khanna herself immediately began making preparations for the long journey to Kazakhstan. One of the major difficulties for Arable Vyitsuk was obtaining food. To receive the small portion of food that was provided by the government, one needed to work. However, due to his poor condition, he was unable to work and only after much effort was he able to receive an exemption. Although Arab Leyitsuk went through much suffering and was physically weak, he nevertheless retained his regal appearance. Many of the locals noticed his greatness and began treating him with respect, allowing him to skip the line where everyone would wait for many hours to receive their portion of food and helping him in other ways. Rebetzin Khanna's arrival. After making all the proper arrangements, Rebetzin Khanna began the long journey to Kazakhstan about a week after Purim. Many Hasidim helped along the way, providing her with whatever she needed and helping to carry her belongings. Towards the end of Udr, she arrived in the town of Chile, finally reunited with her husband. Once she arrived, she was once again able to help Harav Levi Yitzhak. A week before Pesach, Rebetzin Khanna traveled to a nearby town, Kaiser Lorda, to obtain ink and paper for Harav Levi Yitzhak to write his Chidushe Teira. She later described, the excitement he had upon receiving ink was indescribable. The joy of receiving writing utensil brought him more joy than when he received a piece of bread after long months of hunger. Yiddishkeit in Chile As time went on, more and more Yidin were exiled to these faraway towns. Word began to spread about Harav Levisuk's presence, and many Yidin began to make their way from nearby towns, some risking their lives doing so, to help out Harav Levisuk in any way they could. They would help him physically and would walk away inspired and uplifted. Celebrating Yom Tov alone in this remote town was a unique challenge of its own. To fully appreciate the way Arav Levi Yitzhak would celebrate Yom Tov alone, one must read the diaries of Rebetzin Khanal. However, Tishrei 5704, Tavshin was a different experience altogether. As the crowd of Jewish refugees grew, a minion was arranged for the Yom Tovim. It was a very diverse crowd of all ages and different backgrounds. Many of them being simple Yidin weren't necessarily so involved with Yishkait. But when Tishri came around, everyone took part in the celebration. They were a small crowd, and none of them were able to act as Chazen, Balkeda, or Balitikeya. Although he was weak, Harav Levi filled all these positions with tremendous joy and excitement to once again be able to daven with a minion despite the harsh times and conditions. When it came to Sukkis and Simplest Torah, they rejoiced dancing together, completely forgetting about the world around them. Harav Levi Yitzchak himself would lead the Fabrangians as he had once done many years ago. One would not be able to imagine that he was suffering. Harav Levi Yitzhak did whatever he could to help assist his fellow Yidin, whether teaching them Torah, giving them hope and inspiration, and, whenever needed, he would arrange a proper Jewish burial. Amata, As Harav Levi Yitzhak's five-year sentence was nearing its end, his physical condition began to deteriorate. Though he was unaware of it, a serious illness was spreading through his body, severely weakening him. Meanwhile, friends in the closest largest city, Amata, resolved to secure the Rav's release. Due to the war and status of counter-revolutionary, returning to Yekaterinoslav was out of the question. They contributed thousands of rubles, giving away most of their own assets to acquire the proper permits for their re relocation. After six weeks fraught with setbacks and obstacles, they were finally able to obtain the release documents. Immediately after Pesach, Harav Levitzach and Nebuzin Khanna left Chile and arrived in Amaata. A reception was held in the home of one of the community members, the news of the Rav's move to Amata had spread through the city. Fearing that it would attract unwanted attention, certain officials had to be paid off and many precautions were taken. In this large city, Harav Levitzchak and Nebuchadnezzar Khanna 
living condition improved somewhat and they were able to work more vigorously to help others in need, while the community provided the Dao with physical and financial needs in a generous manner. Many of the non-Jewish leaders of the city held highly of Radav Levitsak and treated him with great respect, often turning to him for help or guidance. Illness After Shavuos, the Dao's illness began to take a toll on him, and the pain began to worsen. A physician examined the Dao and treated him regularly. Seeing that there was no improvement in the Dao's condition, a well-known professor was called. After much pleading and hearing the Dao's condition, he agreed to make the trip to Amatat to treat Hadav Levi Yitzhak. Upon seeing the Dao, the professor diagnosed Hadav Levi Yitzhak with a very severe disease. The professor continued to treat Hadav Levi Yitzhak for the next few weeks and later commented that through all his years, he had never before encountered such an extraordinary person. However, the Dao's condition continued to worsen to the point he was bedridden. Additional doctors came to examine him, but they all shook their heads in despair. They had no cure for his ailment. Final Moments On Tuesday night, the eve of Chav Av, Hadav Levi Yitzhak was laying in bed. He asked for some water to wash his hands, saying, It is time to prepare for the journey to the other side. Those were his last words spoken to those around him, but his lips were continuously moving. Reb Hirshel Rabinowitz bent down and heard Hadav Levi Yitzhak saying, The next morning, his condition became critical. And before sunset, his holy soul returned to its creator. Rebinson Khanna concludes her memoirs. This is how his life ended. His path through life was a difficult one. He was always at war, never compromising his convictions, never going 50-50. It cost him dearly, but he never surrendered. At first, it brought in many opponents, but eventually, they became his followers and loyal friends. The Levi took place the next day. The wooden chest that was used to hold Adal Levi took Svartim and also served as a table which hundreds of pages of Chedushi Torah were written, was now used to build the Arun. Although participating in the Levaya was a great risk, nobody had second thoughts about attending. Questions would have been an- had to be answered the next day, but none of that mattered at the moment. Harav Levi Yitzhak was laid to rest in the Jewish cemetery in Amata, Kazakhstan.